Well, the message of the gospel is a message of life, coming out of darkness into light, coming out of death into life. God has created life, life that has been made in the image of God. If you're a Christian, you're on the side of life. And we're back on the narrative. Mike Andrews, Aaron Bear. We've got Chris Lightfoot, the executive director of the Church Ambassador Network, joining us for our conversation today. And we've got a man who probably doesn't need a lot of introduction to our listeners, Alistair Begg, who's been the senior pastor of Parkside Church since 1983. He's originally from Glasgow, Scotland, a graduate of the London School of Theology. And in addition to leading Sunday services at Parkside Church in Northeast Ohio, he can be heard daily on the Truth For Life radio program. Alistair and his wife, Susan, have been married since 1975. They have three grown children who are often married and eight grandchildren. Alistair, thank you so much. This is truly an honor to have you with us on The Narrative today. Well, it's very nice of you to say. Um, it's a privilege to be here. I'm delighted to have a chance to talk some of these things out. And as we look forward to November, hopefully Christians know what's on the line, what's on the ballot in, in November. We've got issue one specifically that is uh, something that would open up an unheard of level of abortion access that would cost up to 30,000 lives a year. And we're in that space where Christians and churches with are wrestling with how should we be involved as believers? And I, I know that's something that, that you've been vocal about. You've been uh, incredibly helpful to us throughout, uh, throughout these last few months. And so we just want to have the conversation with sure. you today to, to talk about how should Christians think in this particular moment, especially Ohio Christians, with a, such a serious issue on the ballot this year. Well, I, I think they should be very heavily involved. That's the first thing I I come to this, of course, as somebody, and I've confused a lot of people because my posture has been for the vast majority of time, uh, please, I don't want to get involved in this whole political thing. And to some extent, that remains sort of the underlying framework of my existence. But this is a moral issue. This is an issue that uh, affects, um, it transcends political agendas, it should. And so it's an appeal that needs to be made I think in a congregation such as my own, where there would be a variety of uh, positions in terms of all kinds of things, to be able to say to people, now, what we're talking about here is something that is sacrosanct. It is something that God speaks about clearly. It's something that is underpinned by the clarity of the Bible. And um, we don't, we're, not at, we're not at liberty to play fast and loose with this. And therefore, I want to encourage you to be engaged in this way and... Uh, that's what I said Sunday. I was trying to explain uh, that there's a difference between what we were saying before, which was yes, and now we're trying to say no. And um, I, I think I need to come back at that a couple more times before it really registers. But no, it's 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 vital. And as you've led your church through these last few months and getting involved, trying to get them involved. It's a big congregation. And as you mentioned, you've got people all across the political spectrum. Uh, what have you encountered just in terms of their their response to to you bringing this up from the, from the pulpit? Well, I think, first of all, the folks that are in leadership with me were caught a little bit off guard because I've, you know, I've largely said before, you know, we don't really need to get ourselves embroiled in this stuff. And so they're saying, well, what in the world happened to you? And I'm saying, well, this is different stuff. This is different from me uh, standing up and uh, giving a, a talk on uh, 
the the terrors of socialism or the virtues of capitalism or you know wandering around with a blue tie or a red tie or whatever it might be and polarizing the congregation in terms of a political perspective why is this different well because it ought not to polarize anybody i don't i don't care where they're coming from politically this is a matter that uh, is is sacrosanct and it is a bit of an irony you know chuck colson who I, I admire very much and who was a friend, you know, he used to say to me years ago, well, you can give up on the abortion thing because, um, you know, the Wade thing will never be overturned. That's what he said. It will never happen. Uh, well, of course, he was proved wrong, but yet it was overturned and has uh, unleashed a f arguably more terrible state of affairs than what was there under that. And that's not to say it shouldn't have been overturned. Of course it should, but look at the mess we're in now. And I think it's just that that dawned on me in a fresh way. And the response of my folks is, good, we're with you. Let's go. Pastor, what are some of the reasons that pastors around the state might be afraid to talk about this issue? And what would you say to pastors leading congregations who have, for whatever reason, a hesitation to overcome some of that fear and step into uh, a place of leadership in this issue? Well, tone matters a great deal when you're talking about things like this. And I think that some pastors have a justifiable concern about not um, raising the, the, the drama of the thing to such an extent that the people who are within the congregation whose lives have been marked by this, uh, parents who have gone through this, I think that's, that's, an, I think that's a, a fair and a justifiable sense of reticence. But I think that what I would be saying to them is, well, handle that graciously but don't allow your concern about that to overturn the greater concern, which is the fact that this thing is, is a runaway train unless you stand up and uh, make clear. Forget the things that are behind. We're pressing on towards the goal. And the goal here is to make sure that this doesn't become part and parcel of life in, in, uh, in Ohio. There may be other reasons than that, but I think from my experience that is that, that a, a sensitivity towards not, um, you know, plowing back through pieces of people's lives that are s sad and sorry, that they regret and so on. Okay, but that's fair, but it's not, it's only a very small number of people to start with. And the greater concern is not that they would be unharmed, but that the children in the womb would make it. I had an interesting conversation with a pastor recently who said, uh, yeah, there are really difficult circumstances that a lot of these women are facing, but those circumstances shouldn't be a justification for murder. They should be a justification for ministry. Th these should be the reasons that we as pastors are stepping into the lives of these right. women and helping them through this. Um, well, I think that guy said it a lot better than I just tried yeah. to say it. <laughs> I think you just stick with him. Yeah. It was my father-in-law, so I'll, I'll pass that along. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, tell him thank you. So, so let's go to the, the other side of, of that coin, though, to, to Chris's mm -hmm. question here. Um, because, you know, we, we get a lot of folks, uh, laity, you know, folks, just ch regular church attenders, they get really fired up. And they'll say, oh, my pastor's being weak. He's not talking about this issue. Oh, what? And we're always like, well, how are you, how are you approaching him? Like, right. the, like I... I 
you know, we, we, we're always like, the, I, I don't know any pastor that wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to do a really bad job as a pastor today. This is like, so, so to folks that, you know, either one, um, wish their pastor uh, was speaking out this, about this more or two, just, you know, again, like uh, it, it's one of these things we, we want to remind folks, like just because you and we live and breathe this right. does not mean the pastor's aware of this, right? Um, so if you were to counsel someone to, about how they should approach their pastor or their elders on this, uh, what, what's the advice you would get? What, what are the things that will might make them effective? And what are, what are the things that will definitely get them shut down right away? Well, I, I don't know many pastors that are suffering from being over-encouraged. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, it's like, you know, please, please, I've, yeah. I've had enough encouragement. I have my encouragement quota covered for the month, you know. Um, well, the line of approach is important, isn't it, in, in the way we approach anything? And humbly, um, graciously, um, courageously, all of the above. I mean, if if pastors are unapproachable creatures on any subject, then a subject like this will be daunting. But if you have the ear of a pastor, if he is alert to these things, uh, coming alongside him to say, you know, um, it would be super if we were able to make some of these signs appear uh, without necessarily hanging them from the steeple, uh, and see what they, see what he has to say, and that, that's what happened to me. I mean, one of the young fellows will be here tomorrow from our church. You know, he's like gangbusters. He's he's got signs hanging off him everywhere, and uh, so he, well, what what do you want done with these signs? And I said, well, let's put them in a place where we can tell people that they are, and let them avail themselves of them, which they will because they want them. And last time, incidentally, we didn't have very many of those signs. I mean, we we we. Uh, we, uh, towards the end, we did, yeah. but now I think we can do better. Oh, yeah, no. oh, we, I, I'll say, uh, even just thinking back to that August election, you know, and this is going to give Mike PTSD. Because we, exactly, we don't want to uh, do it. We, they're, they're, and I'm going to try to do this in a non-finger pointing way. Um, there was supposed to be a sign effort, and then there wasn't. And then we said, "Oh, we got to order signs," and we ordered. 20,000 and they were gone <laughs> like that. And uh, this time that we're, I'm running the campaign, uh, we ordered 150,000 signs. Wow. Um, and I mean, our quota at CCV, we're already out of them, right? They, I mean, these are getting out everywhere and you're, you're starting to see those, um, those pop up. Um, Pastor, I want to kind of go to the cultural side of this, because this is one thing that we, we talked a little bit about this on our Issue One podcast uh, with our guest from the Col Chuck Colson Center for Christian Worldview, who was my wife. Uh, but uh, but the uh, is my wife. She's, she's still married to me. She didn't leave me in the last two weeks. Um, anyway, uh, right, exactly. As far as I know, right, exactly. It's, uh, you know, it's still, uh, still early. Um, but the, uh, you know, one of the things that that's really shocking about this, especially when you understand the the breadth of this abortion amendment, right? That it it would allow abortion up until birth, right? It it would allow a minor to get abortion uh, without their their parents knowing. Um, there's a part when you really step back and you say, "How in the world did we get to a place where not only is this you know conceivable, but th there's a good chance it could pass, right?" Um, what does that say about? us as a culture? What does that say as a, us as a nation? And what does the Bible have to say about a people um, that that are in a place that would even consider something so barbaric in many ways? Yeah. Well, what it says is 
I mean, the way in which it is framed, I went on to um, Channel 3 or Channel whatever in our uh, local community to see what they were saying. And the way in which is represented, of course, is as uh, you ought to be voting alert to this because this has to do with the, the reproductive rights of women. So the idea of rights and civil rights, which has been established in the minds of people, if not in their immediate experience of whatever it might be, is so endemic a part of this culture about your rights rather than your responsibilities. Well, I have my rights. And, uh, and so people will regard their, it's the autonomous self. It's I am, I am, this is actually about me. This is about me. And uh, this is me as a woman or whoever it might be. And when you think about when you think about the fact that that actually becomes the the the, the central framework of thinking, then once once that is actually once that is actually inculcated in a culture, then there is no reason, there's no logical reason why people ought not to be able to do that, whether they're the CEO of a company or whether they are a university student, whether they are. I am the master of my own destiny. I am the master of my own thing. And if I am the master of it, then you are to be the master of yours. And as the master of yours, if that extends to the issue of uh, the termination of a pregnancy, well, of course, that is your right. And why would I deny that to you? Think about it in relationship to the whole idea of gender. And, and the, 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 why is it that sensible people are prepared to say, oh, yeah, that's, that makes perfect sense? It makes absolutely no sense at all. It is nonsense, except that once I've decided that I am free to decide everything about myself, then I have no basis upon which to deny you the right to decide that you are of a different gender than you actually are. So in other words, it's not a debate about the gender issue is actually a far more fundamental question about who's in charge. And so you take a culture that has, you know, turned its back on God. You, you live in a culture that's in the second half of Romans chapter one, that he denied the, the, the things that, are, that God has made perfectly plain, that uh, they have chosen to turn their backs on that and the implications have followed. I, 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 I can explain... Western culture in the present, apart from, apart from my Bible. Would you say to, I just happened to see a, a new ad that the other side cut today, and it's a, a pastor sitting in his church saying that government needs to stay out of family decisions and abortions a family decision. Um, when we see that attitude that you're talking about even permeating the church and people who would use scripture to um, affirm killing a child. Um, how did that happen? Because that that seems different than just a culture problem, but being inside the church, even with theological differences, for it to go to that extreme. Well, again, but you see, the meism is in the church. I mean, that's, 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 the, that's the whole point. Because, and, and the loss of any moral mandate from the scriptures is, is clear. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tragedy. <laughs> but it, but it's what it is what it is. It's interesting right now because there there's and this came up just recently because of a a, a conference on the LGBT issues that a, a church uh, hosted recently, 
and and ultimately came out kind of making an affirm, affirming statement on LGBT issues. And what what they seem to be doing is separating doctrine from practice, right? right? And so they're they're saying, you know, well, we we affirm the Bible says this, but we're just we don't have to submit to it, right? And th- this is one. Some are just also saying the Bible doesn't say that, or they're you know rewriting scripture altogether. Um, but there's a the new new ish thing, at least in our time, is they're saying, well, doctrine says this, but we don't really need. That's too hard for somebody to expect someone to live up to, uh, and so they're they don't need to. Yeah. Well, uh, as Augustine says, you know, if you believe what you want to believe in the Bible, and you disbelieve what you don't want to, then it's not the Bible you believe; it's yourself, and that's that again is it that we sit we sit in judgment over. The word of God. Jesus said, uh, heaven and earth will pass away, and my words never, will never pass away. People don't believe that. And so when you when you can set that aside, I mean, what do we have to say about anything apart from the scriptures? We, w- The only reason that we have a view on all these things is because, because God has made man in his own image, that the Bible starts in, Ge- in Genesis 1. And because God has made man in his own image, we have no right to tamper with what God has made. People don't believe that. They're living in a world where they believe time plus matter plus chance. Therefore, they are arguing from a different, a radically different view of the world. And the tragedy is that that kind of mentality, unless people are truly biblical in their perspective, they've managed to take a lot of that on board without even realizing it. So that they're not operating from a framework of scripture. Building on this, I think um, from a cultural standpoint, how do we begin to reconstruct faith? How, how does the church begin to take back some of this ground? If we've been silent for too long, secularization of society is not just in our communities, it's now in our pews. What do we need to do to begin to reestablish that base? One of the things that we don't need to do is to get further diverted from that foundational issue by simply being the proponents of a political cause. It, it be, because the, 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 you're right, the way that the, under, the underlying convictions are what give rise to the way in which people make decisions. So it's the role of the church to lay that down, to catechize people, to explain doctrine, to explain why this is the case. I mean, you take, for example, uh, I'm just starting to do the truly, truly St. John's Gospel. And just to go to what Jesus is saying there in, you know, when he heals the the fellow at the pool of Bethesda, and then the Pharisees get really ticked because it was the Sabbath. And Jesus says, hey, my father is working and I am working. And they say, oh, we got him on two counts now. One, he claims that he's equal with God. And two, he's doing it on the Sabbath. And then what you have there is one of the most one of the most in-depth statements made by Jesus in the entire scriptures about the fact that he is he is divine that he is god is the doctrine of the trinity if you if you were to uh, you you were to talk to the average person modalism historianism is is rampant in people's minds they don't know that they've got a deviant view but they don't know that there really really is you know a trinity in unity and a unity in trinity. So at that level, the church has got a lot of work to do. In earlier generations, that wasn't the case. People grew up on the Heidelberg Catechism, and they grew up on the Shorter Scottish Catechism. They grew up, the, people think catechism's not, they don't know, it's a, like a disease or a plague or whatever it might be. But 
you know, if you talk to some of my friends who lived like I did in Scotland, they would tell you that the average 13-year-old child in Scotland in the 1950s had a stronger view of an understanding of the overarching story of the Bible than the average fellow applying to attend seminary in the United States. Uh, Pastor, I think that's a, <laughs> I, I love that point, because, it, especially because, and we, we see, we run into this at, at CCV a lot, which is, you know, if we try to jump in and engage a, a Christian on a biblical worldview on abortion, right? Um, you know, there, there's so many layers of cultural assumptions that your average sort of American has, right? And this is this is something that, you know, Marie and I talked about on the podcast here, but, you know, the, the prevailing principles in America is personal autonomy, right? Sure. And and I, I'm, the, I'm the master of my domain. I'm the one that decides who I am. And so to try to engage on that conversation head on a lot of times uh, for, for churches, there, there's so much founda- faulty foundation that the, 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 those thoughts are built on. Now, again, we're, we are in a Right, right now we have a fire burning with this issue. One, we, we, it's the reason why, honestly, we're we're talking so much about things like parental consent and abortion up to birth from the campaign side because these are things that that can still resonate with people sure. as a, because the you know just the atrocity of abortion on its own isn't enough for some folks. Right. Um. But but to that that point of how we how how we kind of awaken the church or or get there, there's so much foundation faulty foundation that they're thinking has been built on. Um, that it, it there's a long road to get them. Back yeah, if you, if you think about um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and when they are taken away into exile, and their parents are left behind, and they sit and having dinner, and they're saying, "I wonder, I wonder what's how it's going to go with Daniel," and the and the father says, "Well, we began every day and we ended every day, saying, Hero Israel, yeah, the Lord your God, the Lord is one.'" We, you shall love the Lord your God. You know, we that's how we started and end the day. Let's pray that Daniel really got that. Yeah, that really clicked. Yeah, right. he really got it. <laughs> yeah, and 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 he did really get it, and that's yeah. why we got the story. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, I mean, and just just the the fundamental idea right now, and, and it's you know, we kind of joke about this here sometimes, but you know, the idea that well, uh, well, if the Lord has this for me. Um, you know, then it's going to go well. And, and I just really hope the Spirit speaks to it. And well, because things didn't go well, obviously, um, I, w- I wasn't doing things right. And the idea that if it's painful, then the God, then God obviously doesn't have that for me, right? Yeah, and yeah. and that, that, that's obviously not where, where, where God would be calling me if, if, if it's painful. Uh-huh. Um, and and j- just that idea alone shows uh, the, the faulty thinking in, in, the, in the church right now and how we get to a place where, well, it's really hard to have kids. So you, you kind of need to be allowed to kill them um, in, in, in the womb so you don't have to go through anything hard. Right? Yeah. yeah. Let's not be discouraged. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, again, I know we could go, go down the, these paths of, of, of frustration. And again, though, at the same time, we're saying this as we're gearing up for a March for Life where we're going to have you know, thousands of people. You know, last year, this was probably the biggest event they had at the state house on either side and I'm sure we'll 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 break that record this year. Um I, I do though I want to go down one more just just path and, and again I, I know we're 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 going down the despair path but I I always love talking to you about this which is you know 
the, the church in Europe and the church in Scotland, um, and, and even the 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 political dynamics in in uh, in Europe and and in Scotland. What are the things that have happened in Europe, the, the things that have happened in, in the churches over there that are lessons for the church in America right now? Well, the the, the collapse of the Church of Scotland, the National Church, um, came ostensibly over the homosexual question. And everybody said, well, what a dreadful circumstance that this would be. My take on it was that the collapse came 60, 70, 80 years before that, when the people who were now becoming uh, the ministers in the Church of Scotland had actually given up on a solid view of the Bible, so that the issue was the Scriptures. And once you, once you have uh, fiddled with the Bible, once you've managed to maneuver your way around it, once you do a kind of Augustine on it, the, I'll, I'll believe what I want and not, then there's no, there's no end to it. And it's, homosexuality was only the presenting problem. And so, again, it's a loss of confidence in the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. That's why the trumpet gives an uncertain sound. That's why pastors are fearful of saying things, because they, they don't have confidence that the Bible is actually the Word of God, that it is true, that it's not an invention. And when he says these things, I mean, we, I've been working through Ezekiel in the mornings for, whew, it's a challenge. But, I mean, God calls out all these different nations. And, at the, and at, the, at the heart of a lot of it is what they're doing to their children, what's happening, what they, they are doing these things. And we're talking about the very same things we're talking about here. I've been tremendously encouraged by what I have seen out of church leaders, denomination leaders rallying around this issue and saying, enough is enough. We can no longer be silent. We have to stand up. And I'm just wondering if you're seeing that from uh, your circles, your networks, and, and and if there's some light here that, that maybe uh, the church has, has there is an awakening, used that word earlier, and uh, and if at least in Ohio, pastors are starting to say, w whether it's a, an issue that has become politicized or not, we have to speak on these issues that were biblical issues long before they were political issues. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because again, uh, and I thought it was uh, very telling that the video you showed at the gala in Cleveland where the the African-American guy was speaking. And the, I mean, it was striking when he says, you can't pray one way and vote another way. And that, of course, is again, that same, that same dilemma. You know, like, well, why well, I believe that over here, but it doesn't mean anything over right. here. Right. Um, I mean, we had that from politicians. I mean, I remember Biden playing the same card. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a Roman Catholic and therefore opposed to that in terms of up here somewhere, but down here. No, I'm perfectly happy with it. That that's a level of <laughs> dissonance that I don't fully understand. He's, yeah, it's yeah. been happening in the church ever since Paul and Peter, hasn't it? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> had to well, deal with it all the way along. But but to your point on that, Chris, I mean, what what we're beginning to see, and quite frankly, even what the polling on issue one shows us is, um, you know, if we're going to have a shot at winning, we have to bring back, you know. Uh, and I say bring back because in, in August, a number of folks, uh, a, a number of self-identified evangelicals voted um, against the 60% the threshold. 
if we're going to have a, a shot at winning, we got to bring all those those voters back over to us. Um, and we see a real path of doing that. You know, again, like, honestly, the the, the six Catholic bishops uh, in, in Ohio have ordered every priest to, to preach a homily on issue one, right? Um, and to to your point, Chris, we saw uh, the Southern Baptists, right? They they um, they were just uh, they just in their newsletter put out a, um, a, a opposition to issue one, and you know they're as the, somebody's a God is doing this, right? Exactly. Like we we are seeing. Well, then I think to answer your question, yeah, you you do have reason for encouragement. Well, as we start to wrap up here, Pastor. Let me ask you this question, and and hopefully it sends us out on a more hopeful note. As we, okay, I think part of the the reason that that pastors haven't engaged is is that, as you mentioned, desire to be to extend kindness or to be sympathetic toward people in in their congregations, people hearing their messages. Um, but yet at the same time, there is something kind and pastoral in leading people through those challenging circumstances and past life decisions and things right. like that. So how can we bring the the Bible and specifically, how can we bring the good news of the gospel to bear to this situation? Yeah. Well, the message of the gospel is, the, is a message of life. All right. It's uh, bring, coming out of darkness into light, coming out of death into life. Um, that, um, uh, that that is that is that is our message. That it, if you're a Christian, you're on the side of life. God has created life. Uh, that that uh, life that has been made in the image of God is is uh, marred by sin. It's a disfigured image, but it is still an image. Therefore, the people that we interact with, from whatever perspective, we have to remind ourselves we're made in the image of God. And all of us have been spoiled by sin. And sin has made an impact in in not only it, it's made an impact everywhere. There's no there's no part of us that it, that is uninf- unaffected by it, uninfected by it. And so we just have to I think we just have to tell good news. We have to constantly be saying this is a good this is a message of good news. And it is the good news that is the answer to the disappointments and heartaches of those who walked down this road before and regret it entirely, that Jesus has taken care of that. And since he has taken care of that for you, you surely don't want to uh, be part of somebody else going through that experience that was once yours. And so let's let's stand together on this and uh, and try and and try and influence people for for all the right reasons. That's a good word. Well, Pastor Alistair Begg, thank you so much for joining us on The Narrative. Again, it's been a, a true pleasure, and we appreciate all that you've done for us the last few months. And the introduction you wrote to our prayer devotional is mm. one of my favorite things that I've read several times over these last few months, and, and such an encouragement. And, and thank you for all that you're doing uh, to, to spread the message of life. Thank you. It's a privilege. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Narrative, presented by CCV and produced by Wessler Media. If you found today's episode insightful, leave us a review or rating and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. We're your hosts, Mike Andrews, Aaron Bear, and David Mahan, and we'll see you next time on The Narrative.